You're listening to The Big Show with Russick and Rose on the official home of your Calgary Flames, Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Hour number three. It's The Big Show, Russick and Rose, Sportsnet 960 The Fan Live from Doug Lacey's Basement Systems downtown studio at the bottom of the hour. Peter Labardius, color analyst on Sportsnet 960, of course. Um, and apologies to our texters. Apparently, the Thai Cats and Stampeders play in September in Hamilton. But they don't in play the, here in that the donut box. It doesn't matter though because you want Bo here. That's what we want. I agree. Right. I had made a mental note when the schedule came out that yeah. Bo was not going to return if he signed with the Thai Cats. Um, and I was wrong. Maddie, how dare you not know the entire Stampeders schedule from front to back in January in reverse order. In January. Right. Like, I'll probably know it, like, by training camp, but come on. Yeah. How dare you? I don't How know. I need to be better, you. George. Yeah, I need to be better. Sorry, you do. Uh, I need we'll to be get a little bit more, more accountable. I need to be better. Uh, we'll get to some more text messages later on in the show. And uh, Joe Buck was trending yesterday. Uh, want to read a For tweet. a good or bad way? That was a good way. Good. I think so. Thank goodness. Yeah, we'll talk to, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll do that to wrap up the show too. But right now, uh, joining us from Ingle Magazine on the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar, guest hall, and we say good morning to Kevin Woodley. Kevin, how are you? Oh, it's early here, but I'm still better than the Canucks. Yeah, um, <laughs> it is early. Thanks for waking up with us. Um, just that press that press conference uh, to introduce Rick Dockett. I was going to say which one. We've yeah, I know. We've these here um, the last couple of weeks. <laughs> like, I – do you remember, and I brought this up yesterday, do you remember how the Canucks were praised for all these progressive hires they did and what a smart organization this is? Nobody – That was the Mike yeah. Gillis era. Yeah, I've been here 21 years, so yeah. I remember it well. Nobody was like, hey, uh, maybe this isn't a good idea how we're handling the situation. Or is this basically all just point back to ownership when it's all said and done? I mean, certainly that's a lot of the speculation is, is that's where it comes from. Um, and, and you know what? Truth is, I can't speak in term, to it in terms of how this was handled, where, where, where the shortcomings lie, who's, who's to blame, frankly. And I think just because of the way it went down, everybody is looking for somebody to blame on this one because it wasn't a good look. Um, regardless of what you thought of the move itself, and the irony here is, this would normally be a fan base that would be screaming for a coaching change after watching a team lose 10 of 12 in regulation and give up five or more goals in almost half the games played this season. But the way that it was handled, you know, made Bruce Boudreau uh, a sympathetic figure in this market and, and around the national hockey league and rightly so. So um, I thought it was ironic during the press conference on Monday that Jim Rutherford, you know, um, one of the defenses was this is, this is just a normal way of doing business. And he pointed to, and this is probably where the problem lies and, and, and is an indicator of, of, you know, ownership's role. He pointed to the hiring of Boudreaux as an example of this happening all the time because while Travis Green was still coaching the Canucks in December of 2021 you know like just just over 13 months ago the owner was meeting with Bruce Boudreaux had flown in to meet with Bruce Boudreaux on the east coast in person to hire him for the job 
And well, his point was taken that, you know, you have to start that process, um, you know, ahead of making a decision sometimes rather than necessarily the interim solution that most people uh, suggested should have happened here. It was also worth noting that the owner managed to have those meetings with Bruce Boudreau, who was working for NHL Network at the time, perhaps not as big a stage as the NHL on TNT where talk it was, and we never heard anything about it. That's the difference. Mm. Um, He called it speculation and blamed speculation for the coaching change itself and the need to make it. But when the owner did it, as much as it was still putting the cart before the horse to have the owner hire Boudreaux before he hired or finalized the hiring of Rutherford five days later, um, the owner and Boudreaux kept it quiet. And that wasn't the case this time. And I think that's where, you know, and, and he can, they can call it speculation and blame speculation for the move. But I mean, I would suggest it's more than speculation when every detail that was reported pretty much panned out. So, um, you know, he said he needs to zip it, uh, certainly coming out on the Monday and saying he'd been talking to coaching candidates, um, increased the focus and the speculation. And I, there seems to be some blame of the media and the market for that. But, but I, I mean, can you guys remember the last time a, a president of hockey operations came out and admitted that he was already actively looking yeah, at candidates to replace his coach? And especially when you look at the comments in November about how, you know, the way this team played wasn't what they wanted. Heck, go back to the end of last season and the season-ending press conference. They were already talking about not, despite the run that they finished with under Boudreaux, they were very pointed in their criticism of the way this team played under him. And then you add on the Hockey Night in Canada appearance uh, early this season on After Hours where he said he didn't know that Boudreaux had a second year on his contract and all the back and forth about not extending Boudreaux. And if he wanted to come back under the terms of his existing contract, he could. And I just, like, I have a tough time blaming us in the media for the speculation when that much sort of, you know, when, when when you've run them over with the bus and then backed it up two or three times over the past season. Um, Kevin, I have to ask you a very simple question. Um, why? And here, here I'm going to extrapolate on this a little bit. Why on earth do the Canucks feel like a new head coach is what this team needs? What are they trying to accomplish here? Do they want to be a team that's just going to miss the playoffs and have a decent run here the, the back end of the season? When, as we all know, what we've heard, everybody in the know saying, this is one of the best drafts in years stock full of impact players the first at least six seven maybe even eight picks you want to get into the draft lottery this year why would they hire a new coach here what's the purpose do do you think you can still be a playoff team like I just I just don't get it Kevin well okay so a couple things and and I'm not disagreeing with the premise of the question in any way shape or form um, You're free to if is, you do, but anyway. Well, no, no, I'll give you their points on it. And some of them, you know, I would consider. Um, the First of all, this team is probably going to win some more games down the stretch. They have 
there's a great a- uh, article in The Athletic uh, by Thomas Drantz uh, using some of the modeling from Dom Decision that they work with there. Basically, the Canucks have the third easiest schedule in the NHL, uh, strength of strength of schedule opponents. Like it, they got a cakewalk from here on in. There's no coincidence that Boudreaux coached against the Avalanche and the Oilers in back-to-back games, and Tockett opens against the Chicago Blackhawks tonight uh, in Seattle, a team that, well, pleasantly surprising um, for Kraken fans this season, has never beaten the Canucks in two years in the league. And then the, the lowly Columbus Blue Jackets are in before they go on a nine-day break. So, like, this is set up for success early based on strength of schedule, and I would suggest that strength of schedule probably would have had them winning more games down the stretch anyways. Um, They're going to lose players off this roster. How many remains to be seen? Um, So it's going to get weaker with Bo Horvat likely gone as a pending unrestricted free agent, and we could probably spend a whole show talking about that decision to choose J.T. Miller over him. Um, Andre Kuzmenko potentially gone, Luke Shen potentially gone, all unrestricted free agents in the summer. And so, yeah, like tanking or sort of, you know, and, and again, they said, like, if not for the speculation, they wanted to keep Boudreaux for the whole season, and if you wanted to tank, allowing the status quo to continue would be a hell of a way to do it because this team can't defend. This team is brutal in its own end. They have terrible <laughs> habits in terms of puck management. Um, and, like, listen, they were a bottom third team in the NHL last year defensively. They got propped up by Thatcher Demko playing at a Vesna Trophy level mm. from Christmas or, or sort of early December on. Demko uh, required surgery in the offseason in large part because they wore him out um, with as many lateral and explosive saves as were required behind this defense last year. But they actually got worse. For all the focus about the lack of structure and the need to improve defensively this year, they actually got worse. They went from bottom third to bottom three. There is no team in the NHL that gives up more of the highest danger type of chances off the rush than the Vancouver Canucks. And it's not even like they're playing fire wagon hockey. This isn't Doug Waits, New York Islanders, every night's an all-star game back and forth. They're like 25th in terms of what they generate off the rush. They just make terrible decisions with the puck, give it away, rarely have forwards in support when defensemen pinch, and frankly just don't back check hard enough. There's rarely any gap control by the defensemen because there's no back pressure by the forwards. Like it's broken defensively. And this is where I will give them some credit for making the coaching change because – well, I would disagree with their premise they can turn this around somewhat quickly. Poor starts in each of the past two seasons have given them no chance. Um, obviously, the record, I think it was 8-15 and, and 2 under um, under Travis Green before he got fired in December. You know, Obviously, we all know they started 0-5 and 2 under Bruce this year, and they feel like they want to get a head start on next year. Evidently, even if it costs them draft position this year. And the question that needs to be answered, because listen, coaching, like in terms of how they handled it, brutal, no questions, not arguing. In terms of the need to make a coaching change, based on how poorly they defended and how poorly they worked at defense under Boudreaux, that's a little harder to argue. Like this, you know, um, this makes sense if you're actually trying to improve. And what they need to see here, for the most part, is you can change systems, you can change points of emphasis. Talkit is clearly going to be a lot harder on players that, you know, um, don't do these things. Like, there's going to be an expectation here. He called them non-negotiable in terms of defensive habits. Even things like line changes. Never have I seen a group that saunters off and leaves the next guy up, uh, you know, coming on, 
coming on late to take them to take their minus and usually with body bad body language to boot and this is some of their top players like none of those things are going to be acceptable anymore under rick tockett he's more hard-ass whereas bruce was a player's coach the question they need answered however is who will buy in because i'm not convinced this is just systems and having a coach that forces guys to work harder i just think it's not in the dna of a lot of these players I don't know that you can get them to defend. JT Miller talks a great game about wanting to become a 200-foot player, but we've yet to see the work done to, to actually become that player. Their defense, as bad as it is at moving the puck, might be even worse in terms of being willing to get in lanes and block shots. The only thing they do in terms of getting in lanes is usually get in the wrong side of a screen, take away their goalie's eyes, and then turn away from shot blocks rather than eat pucks. And I, the one thing I think they need to discover, and they didn't think they were getting it because the, the focus on defending and how they defended wasn't to their liking under Boudreaux. They will get that focus under Tockett. And the question they hope to have answered is, who can they win with here? Who will buy into that and who will execute within that? And who, frankly, like I said, it's just not in their DNA this guy's never going to play that way, and we need to get rid of them, whether it's through buyouts or through trades, if you can move some of these contracts. And that answer may dictate who ends up needing to be bought out instead. They feel like they need to get that answer before the end of the season so they can expedite this turnaround. And that takes us back to the ownership thing. The problem we've had in Vancouver for the last 10 years is a refusal to tear it down to the studs. Trevor Linden wanted it after the Sedins retired. He was shown the door. Ownership favored Jim Benning's plan, which was a quick turnaround. And we're hearing a lot of the same things under Jim Rutherford into expediting the turnaround by not going after draft picks, by making trades for younger players. Exact same things we heard from Benning. And that's where I think maybe an impatience at the ownership level um, can be tied to what is now a decade of futility. It's been wild to watch. And and one of the... uh... Is the biggest challenge for Rick Tockett now to kind of get this relationship with JT Miller right? Yeah, I mean, he's certainly, listen, um, at times maybe unfairly, and and I just hammered on him pretty good in this interview, um, you know, like he is a lightning rod. Mm -hmm. And there are times when the emotions he shows, like those aren't necessarily a bad thing. Um, But there's a reason he's a lightning rod. Uh, it's it's because of the antics. It's because, you know, and Tockett, Tockett name-checked him in his first press conference. He talked about, you know, like, if you make a mistake uh, and you turn the puck over, you know, slamming your stick or slumping your shoulders and sulking isn't the immediate response. The immediate response needs to be work hard and get back on the back check mm. and make up for that mistake. And that type of stuff isn't going to be tolerated. And JT, you know, has become the poster boy for that. He's not the only one. But he is the most sort of visual and vocal one when he does it, and so he's an easy target. He's clearly a talented player. He also bears the brunt. Like, listen, this market would have lost its mind. As much as a lot of people are advocating for moving on from him in the summer and were surprised when they re-signed him, there would have been other parcels that would have been, how do we replace 99 points after he had a career season last year? Ignoring the fact how many of them were a secondary assist. He's a great power play player, um, but the the focal point on him is not just his fault. Like, it's not, not his fault they signed him to that contract. Um, all the body language stuff mm. is true. The defensive liability is true. Is he a better winger than a center and they signed him to be a center? That's a fair argument. But a lot of this is, too, like, 
it was him or Bo, and they chose him, and now it looks like it's going to be tough to re-sign Bo Horvat, who is also having a career year. And, you know, again, whereas JT talks about becoming a great 200-foot player, Bo's got defensive warts himself. But look what he did in the offseason. He hired Adam Oates. He shelled out significant amounts of his own money to become a better player. Um, as much as people say, ah, it's a contract year and it's a career year, there are elements within this that are sustainable because it's yet one more example of Bo Horvat, your captain, trying to make himself a better player by bringing in uh, experts. You know, when he was younger, it was that he didn't have a great skating stride. He went to work on that. He hired someone in the summer, a skating coach. Now it's Adam Oates, and you're seeing with all the deflection goals, how good he is in the bumper on the power play. He actively goes out and tries to become better. And so, again, you know, with, when this new management came in and started talking about, you know, needing to strive for more and achieve higher standards, you know, it's really easy. JT becomes the target because we see him struggling to make some of those improvements and maybe not getting credit for the ones he does, to be honest. Uh, you know, some of the defensive play has improved a bit, um, but is undone by those, those sort of big moments where he sulks. Whereas Bo is more sort of easily seen as a guy who has constantly strived to reach these standards and why the franchise would choose one over the other, especially after all this time, you know, again, just, creates more questions about the decision-making and also creates a bigger, and as I said, I'm part of this, but but perhaps at times unfair spotlight on J.T. Miller. Um, Kevin, this has been great stuff. I just want to kind of uh, get goalie nerd with you real quick. Uh, obviously, uh, okay. you do stuff for Ingoal Magazine. wanted to ask you about goalies uh, switching to uh, buckles on their skates. I know Spencer Knight's one of the guys <sighs> in the league doing this, a little more flexibility, easier to put yeah. on the skate. Uh, what's your thoughts on this, and how many guys are rocking these now? Uh, last count, I think we we're around 12 or 13. I did a story. I, I have a bi-weekly column at NHL.com called Unmasked, where we sort of dig into the, the nerdiness, the minutia of goaltending. Uh, and this is, you know, Andre Vasilevsky, first guy in it was Charlie Lindgren last year. Um, Andre Vasilevsky switched in mid-December. And, like, it's not just buckles. Like, this is a ski boot, guys. This is a ski boot attached to a skate holder. They have completely, Bauer has reinvented uh, the whole concept of a goalie skate, it kind of throws back to the old microns, if you guys remember those. Um, there's a hinge in the ankle to allow for more forward flex. And interestingly enough, like that's not just like some random concept. Like I know off-ice trainers, uh, Adam Francilli in Kelowna works with Connor Hellebuck amongst a, a dozen NHL clients, talks a lot about dorsiflexion or ankle flexion and how key that is to being able to establish proper biomechanical stance and hold a stance that allows you to move efficiently. And a lot of skates, as they've gotten stiffer and stiffer with more carbon fiber and composite materials in them over the year, uh, over the years, have prevented a lot of that dorsiflexion. Guys, to achieve it, were just not doing. They they had these super fancy skates that locked their feet into the boot, no lost energy transfer, so that every movement their foot made, the the blade responded accordingly. Um, but they would have to undo the top laces to achieve some of the ankle flexion they needed. These skates allow you to buckle things in real tight and get some of that ankle flexion. And some guys feel like, uh, you know, talk to Vasilevsky at length about it when he was in town last week and just feels like his ability to grab an edge, to have that little bit of flexion so that he can get more of the blade on the ice as if he needed to get more explosive, right? Like, um, he loves that. But the big takeaway for me, and this is at a time when goalie injuries over the past number of, number of years have been up, is a lot of the guys who have switched, feel like 
you know, that no lost energy transfer in the stiff skates. Well, where does that energy go when you slide into a post or where you make a hard push and a hard stop? It goes up the chain. It goes into the knees. It goes into the hips. And a lot of goalies that have switched to this skate, whether it's Charlie Lindgren, Andre Vasilevsky, I've talked to out of the dozen, I think I've talked to like seven or eight. And the two things they love, one, you're right. They go on and off super easy. And you don't have to worry about getting your lace ties just right because each buckle has an adjustment. And once you lock it in, every time you put it on, it feels the same. But two, they are feeling significantly. And it's only anecdotal. I don't have you know science to back it up. But anecdotally, goalies are feeling less strain in their knees and their hips. They're not as sore in these skates. And that reason alone, I've talked to other guys who weren't, weren't even considering it because there's no freaking way they're wearing a ski boot on the ice because there is a ton of chirping that comes with this product in your own locker room and around the league, but are starting to consider it because of the soreness that they're having in those joints and hearing you know, some of their peers in the NHL talk about um, feeling so much better physically because uh, this skate takes some of that, that tension out of the ankle and doesn't transfer that energy up the chain into the knees and hips. Kevin Woodley, In Goal Magazine. Uh, Kevin, really interesting stuff. Thanks for this, and enjoy the soap opera in Vancouver. Yeah, I hope that uh, maybe with this late move, this latest move, we can get a little, you know, maybe get a little away from the days of our lives stuff. But the way the past yeah. year has been, uh, I'm, uh, I'm not, uh, I'm not totally sure. Uh, back away from the soap opera and back to watching mediocre hockey. Uh, it's what the fans are accustomed to in Vancouver. <laughs> Ten years of it and counting. That's it. Uh, thanks, Kevin. We'll do it again soon. Thanks, guys. Uh, there's Kevin Woodley on the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline. Brought to you by Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar. Using the same secret recipe since 1975. Dine in at 6060 Memorial Drive Northeast. Takeout or delivery 403-248-3344. See? Goalie nerd stuff. I liked it. Learned a lot. Yep. A lot about buckles and boots. and Explosiveness. Blade on the ice longer. Yeah. Push-offs and lateral movements. Yep. I thought he brought up a good point. Thatcher Demko maybe wouldn't need surgery if he played better defense. He doesn't have to go post-to-post post to make every damn stop. Yeah, it's just, they're a mess. And they're going to be a mess for years and years and years. Which is good for Calgary Flames fans. Sure. Yeah, enjoy because mediocre Vancouver. They've good decided luck. not to bottom out this season. Nope. Uh, maybe Rick Tockett can get them 11th in the conference. <sighs> Rock solid. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Yuck. That's what they do. Um, Peter Labardius is uh, the Flames color analyst for Sports at 960. He'll join us straight ahead. Talk about that Flames 4-3 overtime win. Maybe mix in a little NFL playoffs with Lou. I got to tell you, he might be on the Bengals. Oh, okay. Might be jumping on the bandwagon. And uh, we'll still mix in a couple text messages. Um, Texty McTexerson uh, wants to wrap up the show um, talking about uh, Johnny Goudreau's missed penalty shot last night was better than blank. And I'll tell you, uh, Joe Buck was trending yesterday. We'll tell you why. Lots to do in the final segment before we hand things over to Patrick and Alex. Big Show, Russick and Rose, Sportsnet 960, The Fan. It's The Big Show, Russick and Rose, Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Um, we're going to wrap up the program, by the way, live from Doug Lacey's Basement Systems downtown studio. All things basementy. Since 1992, serving Calgary and Southern Alberta. Look at us. Uh, we're going to wrap up the show uh, with some text messages. Hooray. Uh, we gave away tickets earlier, but you sent so many good ones. We want to do a couple more we say, before we say goodbye. Johnny Goudreau missing that penalty shot last night was better than blank. And uh, Joe Buck was trending yesterday. We'll tell you why. 
But right now, uh, Flames color analyst for Sportsnet 960, our man, uh, Peter Labardi, has joined us. Lou, how are you? I am excellent, and I must say, for the last 10 years of my life, there's no one more basement-y than me. Okay. Where I've been residing in someone's basement um, for the last decade. Um, Lou, I wanted to ask you this. Uh, you're a guy who watches a ton of sports. Um, yes. I, I played basketball last night in the league. I played basketball for the first time he, on a gym, five he, on five. He doesn't want to watch you. He no, won't no, no, even no, no, come no, no, watch no, no, me no, play no, beer no. league, George. No, no, he no, won't, no. So... I want to ask him this. I played basketball for the first time since like 25 years last night. I was terrible. What's the one sport you haven't played in years, Lou, that you're like, you know what? Maybe I want to do that again. Mm, that is awesome. <laughs> Probably... Probably softball okay. would be the one I haven't played for a little while. Uh, I'd also love to play squash again, but I have this knee that requires replacement mm. probably in the next five years. So those would be two. There'd, there'd be lots, actually, George. Um, I... Uh, I really like basketball and I, you know, like most things in elementary school, I was okay at it. And then I learned when you're, you know, a stocky five foot, nothing guy, it (laughs) doesn't really lend itself to great basketball ability. But yeah, yeah, I gotcha. Yeah. I, uh, I played last night and I looked around and my teammates were all around my height, like five ten, and literally Serbia is one of the tallest countries in the world. (laughs) And I don't know yeah. what happened to me, Lou. Like, you have Nikola Jokic, two-time MVP. The guy's a tree. Not this guy with my short little femurs out there on the basketball court. It's uh, it's not the easiest game to play if you're, you know, height does matter. Yeah. Ver- that sport, I Vertically challenged. So does, yep. so does athleticism. Well, there's that. Also, a key factor. Yeah. <laughs> Explosive athleticism. I thought you were tennis last night. I thought you were watching tennis last night. No, my man Djokovic plays tonight against Rublev. Okay. Yeah. Didn't he? When did he win in straight sets? Yeah, he crushed Dimonor yeah. in straight sets. He only lost five games because he's a stud and he's he's inevitable. He's going to win this <laughs> tournament. He's inevitable at the Australian <laughs> Open. Like is, is is okay. Okay. Like I know we're going to get to hockey, but you guys. Have we don't have to. We can so, do whatever you want. We're fine. We can do football. We've if done you want. lots okay. of hockey. We've today. talked a ton of flames today. No, no. <laughs> okay. Yeah, and then I get to do it for half an hour later in the day. Yeah, that's what I mean. <laughs> I like to mix things up sure. with you because your hockey opinions are always spot on. You're super smart, but you talk about it every day in the station. I like to give you a little bit of different, you know, a little you, you, a different like line that, at the George. buffet. Yeah, hey, you don't have to go for the same, you know, burger and fries meal that you get on Sportsnet today. Oh, we give you a bit I of a buffet love here. Burgers and fries. Mm. Anyway, yeah, not eating that much these days. But okay. uh, now, in terms of George Rusick, the fan, mm-hmm. what what keeps you up at night? <laughs> yeah, or what? What gets you to a level that at times maybe you're not even comfortable with? So um, I've, I've had this. Again, you, you know when you work in the media, you get a little jaded when it comes to sports and sports fandom. And you lose that a little bit. 
And it's unfortunate because we do you this do. as a job. You get a little cynical, and cynicism's not good in life in general. But uh, when it comes to Novak Djokovic, Lou, uh, I have this connection because uh, my father, who's no longer with us, who passed away over a decade ago, him and I used to watch a ton of Novak Djokovic matches. So I still follow him. He's from Serbia. My parents were born there. So I have that connection, not only watching him and rooting for him from where he's from, but that connection with my dad. So that's why I'm very invested when Novak Djokovic especially plays at major tournaments. That's the one thing that keeps me me up. I set my alarm to watch matches. Like, I'm into it. I, I really do that. That that's the one thing that no betting involved, no nothing, just pure fandom wanting to see him be the greatest tennis player of all time, which I think he already is in my opinion, but have the most major championship titles. Well, thanks for sharing. And I've heard you enough to probably know the answer to the question. Um, but I'm, I'm always fascinated in life in, you know, what, people get really really invested in mm-hmm. and why yeah. um, but you're right um there there are only really now very few things that keep me up at night and where sometimes i'm not even you know really happy about my conduct during certain <laughs> events mm-hmm. um but yeah so i, I wanted to I wanted to throw that out at you, and uh, I know Mr. Rose's Cincinnati Bengals um, with Joe Cool or whatever they're calling him today. Um, yeah, it's neat. I and that's the other thing. Um, I find myself the older I get, cheering for people who I know right. are legitimately invested. And I know the difference most of the time. Mm-hmm. And I'm not, I've, I've been transparent. I said I grew up a Habs fan uh, my entire life. That run of the cup final was super fun a couple years ago uh, with my nephew. Mm-hmm. With my, I've, I've brainwashed my nephew to be a Habs fan. So watching the games with him as a 16-year-old was super fun during that playoff run too. Got really invested. And working at a Toronto station and knocking off the Leafs after being down 3-1, that was especially sweet. <laughs> you know, you know what's funny, George. So, um, as you may or may not know, probably do. Growing up, um, I started as a Boston Bruins fan hmm. because of Robert Gordon Orr when I was very young. And then he and Phil left. Of course, Phil you know, became very special to me, not just because of the Bruins, but what he did with Team Canada in 1972. Um, But when they left, it wasn't quite the same. So then I became an Islander fan um, because they had so many guys from Western Canada who I grew up as a massive Saskatoon Blades fan. Um, But I always had a soft spot for the Leafs. And they were kind of like number two. Hmm. Then in 2000, I moved to Toronto. And I wouldn't uh-huh. say that now, but for, but for a while, yeah. I had great experiences. And well, I actually covered the team the last time they won a playoff series, which was 2004. Oh. Um, 
but it can be pretty easy to have them go from number two on your roster to number 33. Yeah. <laughs> My, the one thing I, I, and I'm sure I'm, 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 this isn't news to you, but in, in that city, when it comes to the Maple Leafs, and that's why this market is so different and so unique to me, is that fans in this, in this city, in this province, they love the game. Like, it's not just about the Flames. It's about the juniors. It's about the Western Hockey League. It's about the AHL. They actually love the game. They really get invested in the World Junior Hockey Tournament. As, I, as you know, Lou, in Toronto, it's only about the Maple Leafs. And once they're eliminated in the playoffs, the city just doesn't care about the game. Junior hockey doesn't work in that city. The Marlies draw decently because they're next door to the Leafs. And there's some players there. But outside of the Maple Leafs, this center of the hockey universe nonsense, it's not. It's the center of the Maple Leafs universe. They don't care about anything else except the Leafs. You know what, George? And I would also say this. Uh, I agree with you wholeheartedly. I, I just think, you know, especially when you look at it through the lens of someone who's getting closer to 60 somehow than 50, I think a lot of the world has moved in that direction where if it's not the brightest of lights and the most stardom and, you know, celebrity status, I think it's, I think it's a way more difficult sell almost anywhere now Mm -hmm. than it used to be. Um, You know, take the Calgary Stampeders, for example, in this town, they've been pretty good for a long, long time, but it's still, You know, on our radio station, as you know, George, we could talk about the Calgary Flames probably every hour, and I'm not sure a lot of people would turn it off. Some would, but the world is different that way. But, you know, I I feel exactly the same. Whether they tried it in Brampton, they're still going in Mississauga, they tried it in Newmarket, doesn't work. And it's never going to work. And especially not now. Right. Lou, you brought up something that I've never asked you about, but I'm just curious now. And and you mentioned, uh, of course, calling games for, or you mentioned you were a fan of the Saskatoon Blades and you called games for the Regina Pats. That would have been early in your career. I know how passionate you are. Was it difficult when you got that role to kind of, you know, call games for, for the bitter rival of the Blades that you grew up cheering for? It is the most ironic Thing that's ever happened <laughs> because to say that especially as a teenager where I think I missed about five Saskatoon Blade home games and was not only passionate back then but borderline nuts pacing around in my favorite spot every night at the old Saskatoon arena um To say that I despised the Regina Pats in my teenage years would be an understatement. So, yes, it it was the most ironic thing, but like so many other things that happen to you sometimes, it becomes Maddie about the people. And, you know, it it was a complete and utter dream come true for me to ever do one game as a play-by-play person in the Western League. Mm-hmm. So it meant it meant everything to me. The people in Regina, 
despite my being from Saskatoon, learn to embrace me. I learned to embrace them. Um, so it ended up being five of the greatest years of my life. I met some people, including my, one of my two best friends on planet earth. Um, you know, we're thick as thieves to these days. So it, it's crazy. And then, you know, to stay on the irony theme, and I'm sorry to say this, George, but I might have liked the Montreal Canadiens as a youngster even less than the Regina Pack. Mm. Um, <laughs> uh, because I was an Islander fan, I was not a lover of the Edmonton Oilers. And then I got affiliated with them, and that changed for years. And anyway, my first ever NHL game that I called was actually a Montreal Canadiens, what they call in the business a backfeed game, back in 2004. And it was the Canadiens and the Edmonton Oilers. Huh. But, but in saying that, so there's another twist of irony for mm. sure. But I have I I have no trouble ever saying this. Hockey in Montreal is there's nothing like it. Yeah. There's just there is nothing like it. Not for me anyway. You, you can feel it in the air when you're in that city. It, it, it's true. It, it absolutely it's. It's it's in the people's veins. Mm-hmm. Um, Lou, uh, we're going to get you out on this essentially one question about the Flames last night, and this has been fantastic. Yeah. If you were to hit a lot of Calgary Flames fans with the true serum, how many of them wanted to mm-hmm. see Johnny Goudreau score that penalty shot last night? George, that is one of the best questions I've ever been asked. I don't know. I don't know. Um, you know, my take the last couple of days, and, and I, w- I want to give Johnny a shout-out for just how he handled it all. He has really, really matured and grown as a human. Um, I'm so impressed with him yesterday. And I haven't always been his biggest backer. And, and Maddie will tell you that that's, you know, at key moments, at key times and seasons, which is where... I really judge hasn't always been the best, but uh, I don't know the reaction again last night. And I get it. Um, I'm not sure you'd want your ex-wife to score in her first penalty shot after you get divorced. <laughs> right. <laughs> and, and especially if you are the individual that didn't make the decision yeah, and I think that's how a lot of like they still love them because you can't feel that way about somebody and react that way if they didn't make an impact on you. Right. But he's 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 not yours, and you know I I I think it's very different than the Matthew Kachuk situation. Um. So I don't know. I don't know. Deep down. I thought Wes Gilbertson maybe put it best yesterday when he said 
that Johnny Gaudreau represented an era in Calgary with the Flames. And I thought that was a, a tremendous assessment. So nobody loves their partner when you get divorced for a while, sometimes ever. Um, I'm not in that category, but I didn't want mine to score on her first um, <laughs> breakaway after the divorce. That I can tell you. Uh, Peter Labardius, color analyst uh, for the Calgary Flames on Sportsnet 960. Lou, always terrific stuff. Uh, let's talk about Championship Sunday in the NFL next week, okay? Who day? Okay. Let's do it. Thanks, Lou. Oh, oh, oh you, you guys got to go. I know that, right? So we'll do that. Yeah, next week. Watch okay. the games. I know you will. We'll get you on. Like, again, you talk Flames every day. I like to mix it up a little this bit with you. This was better. Because you're such a wealth of knowledge. Yeah, this is I, I want to tap into that a little bit. Yeah, that's good. Great job, Lou. We'll and, and, I, and I love it. By the way, yes. one last thing quickly. Everybody sure. have a great day. And two, at some point, I'm coming in there for a morning. I don't know when. Okay. You can shut the door. You Let's can shut go. the door if you want. But I'm going to come in. Full hey, show? Three hours? Day. No, no. <laughs> okay, all right. Okay, eight o'clock hour. Two. Okay. Two. All right. Just saying. Okay. Okay. Bye, so guys. six and then eight and then you take an hour off in between. <laughs> Not a freaking bye, fellas. Bye, Lou. <laughs> okay. Looking forward to it. Thanks, Lou. Here you go. Great stuff. Peter Labardius, uh, Flames color analyst on the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline, using the same secret recipe since 1975. Don't tell. Dine in at 6060 Memorial Drive Northeast. Takeout or delivery, 403-248-3344. Got a text? Yeah. I can say I was secretly hoping he scored on the penalty shot. This is what I said to you, George. Mm-hmm. Because it was a scoreless game, I think a lot of people were like, oh, you need to win this game. Don't yeah. let them score first. But if the Flames had been up like two or three goals, I think everybody would have wanted to see that puck go in the back of the net. Uh, we asked you uh, about that penalty shot. Uh, we gave away tickets earlier on in the show. Mm-hmm. Um, Nickelback tickets all yeah, week long. Nickelback. And we'll, we'll have another pair for tomorrow's for that June 25th show down at the Saddle Dome. But we asked you, uh, Johnny Goudreau uh, missing on that penalty shot last night was better than blank. Uh, our Sportsnet 960 text reading robot, Texty McTexterson, uh-huh. is back after doing some lunges. Uh, he's ready to read some more text A messages. A couple of lunges. Oh, Texty. Lee in Calgary. Johnny missing that penalty shot is better than the Canucks paying three coaches seven million but not being able to sign Bo Horvat. <laughs> the Canucks. It's pretty good. Canucks. Ryan in. Ryan in Brooks. Johnny Goudreau missing the penalty shot is better than Mike Smith missing Rasmus Anderson's 180 footer in the playoffs. <laughs> yes. That was good. Anytime we can call back to that goal. Yeah. Mm, chef's kiss. The best part was Mike Smith throwing his hands in the air. Like, what was I supposed to do? Yeah. How? Come on. Yeah. You guys aren't going to block that one? One more from Texty? Please. We got two. Oh, okay. Oh, all right. Wow. Oh, sorry. A wealth. My apologies. Johnny Texty. missing that penalty shot was better than the sweet sound of victory when the luscious skate a victory lap after winning their oh, beer okay. league debut. All right. The awesome. original big save, Dave. Right. I think we all know the Lushes are going to get absolutely waxed by uh, the, Whalers. the Whalers next yeah, week and w- when we do our beer league broadcast on a Thursday night. They better. And the last one.
Greg in varsity, Johnny missing the net was better than a cold Sir Ciparilla on a warm southern night. I just want to hear Texty say Sir Ciparilla. He can't say Sarsaparilla. It's tough. Sarsaparilla. Listen, Texty's not going anywhere. Patty, was it Justin Dunk that was drinking sarsaparillas over? Yeah, he had over the, the sarsaparillas when he was in the. I think he had some sarsaparillas at the uh, at the CFL meetings. Every time Justin yeah. Dunk came on, we asked, "Hey, what have you been doing?" He said, "Oh, I was drinking Palomas all week. Oh, I was drinking <laughs> sarsaparillas." Was, every time it was a new delightful cocktail that mm. JD was getting into. Palomas are very popular now. Yeah, His they really are. Very popular in general. I don't like grapefruit. No, I don't. Not for me. No. And frankly, I don't like tequila. Okay. Like, I can drink it, but it... Yeah. Yeah. You make that face when you do it, when you do one of those shots. Well, I don't do shots at all well, yeah. George. You well, know this. You, you've been, you've been uh, snookered into some shots <laughs> hanging around me. Yeah. Uh, before we go, uh, Joe Buck, uh, very polarizing uh, sportscaster. Mm-hmm. I, I'm a Joe Buck fan. Mm-hmm. I like his delivery. I like his sarcasm. I think him and Troy Aikman have a ton of chemistry. I like when he does the reads for the cable shows that you can tell he's never going to watch. Yeah. Um, and yesterday, uh, he responded to a uh, troll. <laughs> and this is this is funny because we get some negative comments every show on the radio station. And it's part of the deal. Like, you get into this business, and if you can't handle it, you shouldn't be in this business. But I thought this was really funny. Mm-hmm. Uh, some guy, uh, Rick Banks, uh, tweeted at Joe Buck, uh, no one said this to you. Uh, finally, I can watch NFL and MLB games with the sound on uh, <laughs> when he wasn't having the call. Joe Buck then responded, uh, I'm happy for you, even more so for the people who were in the silent room with you all of those years, listening to you and your thoughts and your worries and how you would do as manager or coach. <laughs> Rejoice, friends of Rich Rick Banks. Rejoice. Turn on the sound loud. Rejoice. And then, of course, somebody has to go, way to dunk on a guy with 200 followers. Yeah, well. Well, maybe Rick is a is a Richard and text and tweeted at him. If you don't want to catch hands, then don't step into the ring. Yeah. Come on. It's just because it's Twitter and he's actually got yeah. a bit of a following does not mean that you are free of getting yeah. owned on social media. That's right. Uh, that's it for us. Um, tomorrow, lots going on. Apparently, the Baseball Hall of Fame announcements tonight. Can't wait. So, uh, really? No. Okay. <laughs> Pete Rose getting in? No, he's not. Is he allowed? He should Is be. he allowed in the Pete Baseball Rose Hall of Fame? No, he's banned. Is he's he allowed have, like a bajillion hits? Most hits. Yeah, he should be in there. But gambling, right? Yeah, well... Ty Cobb killed somebody and he's in the Hall of Fame. They're going to come out of another gambling ad right into the broadcast and talk about why Pete can't be there. I saw Pete Rose at Caesars Palace. No, no, no way. Shocker. He was in the sports book when I was in Vegas. I go, there's Pete Rose. (laughs) (laughs) Like, like, literally. My cousin's like, no, it is. I'm like, are you serious? Look at his bowl cut. (laughs) Look at the lineup behind him. He's been there for a while. The bowl cut is the haircut of the crazy, by the way. The bowl cut? Oh, 100%. Oh, yeah. That's... you got to be straight lunatic to be like, no, nah, this looks good. Yeah. We can do this. Uh, you know what? Yeah. Just, yeah. You see that one I just used for my cereal? Yeah. Just cut right around Right that around way. it. Uh, that's it for us. Uh, more big show with Alex and uh, Patrick next. BNS, Ben Nicholson Smith. Talking some birds. We'll join the yeah. show. And are uh, you going to ask him about the dimensions of Rogers Center? Oh, yeah. Yeah, you are. <laughs> He's he why you're a stud. Are you going to ask him about Vladdy? Yeah. Are you going to ask him about Vladdy's pictures we saw recently? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Tight. We'll see how he's a little toy. 
little wow. toy. So, oh, wow. Only yeah. a month to get all that off, hey? Okay. We're super late. Uh, we got to go. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Bye. Bye. bye.